Malcolm Honline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's good to be with you uh, and to uh, have shared the exchanged rooms at the Inbound, so I miss it very much. And, and the Yerushalayim Shabbos, last Shabbos, I was at the Great Synagogue, and we had a Shabbat for lone soldiers and for people who were displaced. And to see them come together in the shul with people of all kinds, the unity, the achdut, the intensity of feeling, the, the singing along with the chazan, people have been through so much. It was just truly remarkable, and I hope everybody gets to experience it like you and I did. I appreciate that very much. And one other thing I'd like to add, which I'm sure you'll, you will enjoy comment, commenting about, I'm sure you, like I, continue to hear, especially when you are here, more and more stories of American Jewish children that are not only joining the army and making an effort to, uh, to do their part in this war, but they are doing so with incredible enthusiasm, amazing devotion, great bravery and courage. Uh, somewhere, the American Jewish community really did go right, Malcolm, because it is amazing to see that they are just as motivated as their Israeli colleagues. It is truly remarkable, and the volunteerism across the board, people, even if they're not in the army, but going and, and working and picking fruit and doing all sorts of things that they would never have thought of doing here in America, uh, uh, but especially the, when the lone soldiers and you see kids of different backgrounds coming together, really serving out of the purest motivation possible and, you know, putting uh, themselves at risk. It's, it's so inspirational and the, the nature of the commitment that they demonstrate is inspiring. And we had yeshiva kids there with them and they danced together sang together, no distinctions, no differences uh, could interfere with the, with the kind of feeling. And you see it so many places. When you, I went to the bases to see how Saru Marpa and other groups were there, many Hasidic groups uh, serving meals every night, sometimes to a 1,000 soldiers at a base or 500 soldiers, uh, airmen. It was truly incredible. And it goes on every single night, every single day, they even send Shabbat meals down there. There are people who volunteer to go to the bases and make a Shabbat for the soldiers. It's truly amazing. A lot of positive byproducts of this terrible time. Uh, I don't think two months ago uh, that statement would have been believed, but there are, looking back now, a lot of positive developments from all of this. Obviously, the unity and the things you just described are so much a part of what I mean, and I think it, uh, it's one of the things. Look, you come here, and you experience both sides. You experience the sadness, the anxiety, the stress, the shiva calls, the, uh, the terrible, tragic news that continues to envelop Israel. And at the same time, uh, you're seeing and experiencing what you and I have just described, uh, which is honestly uh, one of the most amazing outgrowths of this terrible tragedy. Uh, we'll get to the news of the day. Uh, why do you think the most recent hostage deal fell apart? Because Hamas is not really ready to make a deal, uh, a real deal. There are still negotiations going on. There are various proposals. Now they're talking about a two-week pause. Um, Israel obviously is anxious to get as many of the hostages back. Uh, we don't know how many are alive. We don't. They still don't know where they are. They have more ideas of, 
of where they could be. Um, and the pressure domestically is very great for it. And Israel has always paid a heavy price to get back its soldiers, its civilians, uh, even those who were not left alive. But in this case, we have many uh, who are certainly alive. And the the uh, Hamas is going to exploit it. They're going to look. They're the ones who carried out all the, these dastardly murders. You know, since October 7th uh, is more and more distant. People are forgetting the horrors, the the the, the inhuman and barbaric acts. And one can only imagine what they are doing to some of the hostages that they are holding. So the pressure is very great for Israel to make some sort of a, a deal to get the hostages back. But Hamas is only going to do it to exploit it. They, they do it. They, their inhumanity knows no bounds. And people who blame the government of Israel are making a mistake. You know, Israel has many calculations that they have to take into account, including the ability of, of Hamas to regroup and you know that they're using uh, innovative methods yesterday people put out an announcement saying for the first day since october 7th not excluding the the, uh, days of the ceasefire there were no rockets and within an hour (laughs) there was the biggest barrage of rockets on tel aviv but they found that they've equipped trucks regular trucks with launching uh, um, as a launching site and they can be mobile and drive around and people israel can't take out every single truck that's driving around and you have to stop them, inspect them to find it. And of course that comes at a heavy risk as well. And they fire, they, they keep the rockets uh, because many people are asking the question. I'm sure they ask you, how is it possible? Yep. Only the tip of the rocket is yep. exposed. The rest of it is all underground. And they also can attack Israeli soldiers from these holes, you know, the tunnels. And you see how many hundreds and hundreds of these shafts that they found. They just exposed themselves shoot at the Israeli soldiers and run back underground like the rats they are but the missiles are also underground and they can fire a barrage and it's impossible for uh, sorry to detect them and you've said this to us in past wars as well that they you know we don't realize their mobility we don't realize their creativity and we don't realize their but their planning they have a plan ahead to be as mobile as possible and if an area is going to be attacked or leveled as some areas have been by israel they're going to find other places to launch these rockets from and i didn't realize until you just said it that the majority of the rockets and the majority of the operation could be hidden as well as it can be uh, and it's funny because we were sitting in Jerusalem yesterday and someone commented to me right before the show yesterday, oh, it's been like 36 or 41 hours since there's been a rocket attack. And then a minute later, you know, you look at your phone and there's red alerts all over the country. Uh, but I guess that's their MO, of course, as you just described. Um, and, and, and what about the, you know, we talk about where they've hidden rocket launchers and the buildings and the um and the institutions that they've used as uh, you know places to store artillery etc and then the 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 to the greatest level of i don't know what to call it i don't know if they call it chutzpah or what there are uh, there are hamas members who imitate Hostages. They they give the impression that they are surrendering. They give the impression that they either know Hebrew or are carrying signs or flags that have Hebrew slogans on them. And in fact, they are a 
they're a trap. They're a trap for the Israeli soldiers. That's why this episode that occurred, you know, the, the other day, and it's so tragic and obviously so horrible about the three hostages being killed, people have to realize, and I'm not here to defend anybody, and I know that obviously there's going to be, you know, trials and investigations, but we have to understand what the, the Israeli soldiers are going through when they see somebody who they think on the surface is likely one of them and they turn out to be somebody else. I do defend them, and I think you're absolutely right. People should not rush to judgment. If you have to first be in the circumstance, you know, you shouldn't judge uh, um, somebody on Chetagil Mkoma. You have to be in their shoes and in their place to know what they're facing. And you saw the mother of one of the soldiers who was killed by friendly fire wrote a letter inviting all of the his comrades to come to their house and say she doesn't hold them to account. She understands under the circumstances it was the right and necessary thing to do. I mean, the, the most amazing things and, and heroism on the part of this mother to comfort the soldiers who obviously carry a lot of guilt when, when they shoot one of their own, uh, not intentionally, uh, and in, in fighting in these close quarters is very difficult. You also have to realize that when they, they talk about the hospitals, which now the, the head of the hospital that was so controversial all of a sudden admits that he was a member of Hamas and that he used the hospital as a base that uh, people who worked in the hospitals gave testimony but those things get shunted aside and, and ignored the fact that they're using mosques and I've seen the pictures from inside mosques where they had these huge and elaborate setups of for rocket launchers and storing of weapons that they find it uh, in UNRWA bags and uh, and United Nations facilities it's an impossible situation for, for the soldiers because they never know where they're going to come from. And, and you know, as you said, the, for the soldiers that were killed in the, the tragic incident, they'd come out with signs, but that was a trap that they had used in the past. They, they would make the sound of children to make it sound like they were hostages, you know, inside some of the tunnels, which are booby-trapped. And, you know, each place they go into, they have, to, they have an engineering corps because so many of the places have uh, are set up to trap them and then explode and that's when you, you lost the nine members of Givati and others was because of of these booby traps malcolm you've seen the image of uh, one of the areas that israel is completely cleared out there are no buildings left etc you've seen that i assume i have seen it what percentage of the northern part of gaza is going to end up looking like that what percentage of gaza in general will end up looking like that. I mean, I know it depends on the length of the war and, and Israel's goals, and, and neither of us has, you know, the complete insight military information, and I get that. But, I mean, is, is that going to be a majority of the northern region of Gaza? Is it going to be the majority of the entire strip itself? Israel has tried to avoid that, and they have done precision bombing. You don't see that in the media. For instance, yesterday they took out uh, a facility which turned out to be a long underground arm storage and weapons. So the whole thing blew up and took down a number of buildings. These are areas that were evacuated. If people chose not to evacuate or the terrorists hide in there, and you saw that hundreds have, have given themselves up in different locations, that, uh, that that is not Israel. Israel's responsibility is to act in a humane way. They are doing it in an extreme fashion. Being, trying to avoid civilian casualties, often taking out one apartment in a building. But for that, you need the precision equipment. America should make sure that Israel has sufficient supplies. 
and and make sure that they have the uh, JDOMs and precision guide systems, et cetera, that they need and will need. And particularly if, God forbid, the north heats up and, and the Israel has to hold back a significant part of its capabilities to be prepared should the, the Hezbollah, which is very uh, possible, uh, truly expand the war beyond the uh, number of incidents that, uh, that they have, and they've increased the number of rockets some days, uh, firing um, these anti-tank mortars, which are very deadly, as well as rockets and sending drones on an ongoing basis. Israel strikes back, but both sides have kept a limit on it. Uh, uh, but Israel has to be prepared to, to have the manpower and the resources to take on that front, which has 150,000 missiles and uh, well-trained and well-prepared terrorists with the underground uh, setup, just like in Gaza. I don't think people thought that there was 500 miles of underground tunnels in Gaza, as they have discovered, but we know it, that it exists in southern Lebanon under entire areas, and every civilian home has a rocket room where they, they, uh, where they can launch from. So Israel's, um, you know, has to make sure, that we have to make sure that the equipment, the resources, hopefully to get the aid bill through quickly so that Israel can purchase the, the equipment that they need. Uh, but Israel has, has prosecuted this. They could have carpet bombed everything. But they created a humanitarian corridor, and Sintmar supposedly went from to, through, and through, through this corridor, dressed as a woman, to get to safety uh, in the north, and now uh, is probably hiding somewhere and trying to get out. You know, I understand that. They can cross into Egypt by paying bribes and stuff to, to get out. Um, we have to make sure that none of these guys escape and that they are all held to account eventually. Does Israel ever get any of its emergency uh, equipment and um, rocket power or defense power from the United States without an aid bill? I mean, if there's an emergency situation, does the United States have the capability to just send what Israel needs? They sent $100 million in, in uh, armaments to, to Israel by an um, emergency ruling, which does not need congressional approval. But when you're talking about the size of the bill, it's $14 billion, although I think Ukraine gets $60 billion and money for the South and money for Taiwan has all been thrown into the pot. And they, they do it because Israel, the vote on Israel would be overwhelming immediately. And if you could separate it out pass in a heartbeat. The problem is that, they, that they're tying these other issues which would not pass and do not have strong support uh, and uh, would be questionable at least uh, to to Israel so that it would carry the the uh, entire package. They, so the United States can send on an emergency basis limited amounts of stuff um, but as you see they've held up the sale of rifles because of uh, of supposedly settler violence or whatever excuse was used uh, that they're afraid it could be transferred to them. There was also some equipment that was held up, uh, armored cars, because they don't want them used in in uh, in Shamron. Uh, this is not the, the arms that they get are being used in the right way and for the right purpose. There are is a need for to arm more people in areas, especially along borders and stuff, so that you don't have a situation. Like October seventh, uh, uh, October seventh, when many of the people, there were very few guns, in fact, in the communities living there on the Gaza um, the border and in the entire Gaza envelope, there there were very few weapons 
that were that people had that they could use to protect themselves. I um, I heard this this week. I don't know how much of it is true. Uh, tell me if you heard any of it. There's more activity in terms of people going back to the southern areas uh, than those moving back to the northern areas. In other words, there is some movement um, back to certain communities, those obviously that were not as close to the Gaza Strip. Um, uh, and, and up north, uh, the Israel authorities are not allowing anybody to go within a certain range uh, back to their homes at this time until Hezbollah has pushed back a certain number of miles. Are you hearing that, that there's really more of a refugee situation? Not that there isn't both. Obviously, there's both. But more of a refugee situation now from the north and from the south? I'm not sure that many people are, are moving back to the south. People have gone there to visit. People, farmers go to, to you know, still pick the whatever uh, they can still salvage from the, from the fields. Uh, there's shortage of manpower, there's shortage of uh, workers to, to help. Um, people want to go back. I met people who told me that they were anxious to go back. It's still those closest to the Gaza border will certainly not be allowed in. And you have soldiers operating there. You have a rocket still falling in the north. The, the problem is still um, more of a potential one. And yesterday alone, uh, I spoke to people in the north, and they told me a, a list of places, at least seven or eight places that were targeted yesterday with the anti-tank missiles and with um, missiles or drones. So it's it's a live situation, and to protect the people is far more difficult, although the disruption of life of tens of thousands of people along the northern border, met, some did not leave or didn't want to leave, some are uh, forcibly evacuated because was the danger both of a, of a cross-border raid and because of the incoming missiles should the Hezbollah decide or get the order from Iran to escalate. So it's, it's uh, the, the government, at great cost, has to relocate these people. They have to put them up. You have, I think, 200,000 people altogether who have been, um, who have been displaced or, or have re- relocated, some with families, but mostly in hotels, in apartments, in houses. Uh, people have given their apartments for to, to uh, families who were dislocated. And it'll be a while before they will be able to go back in the south. Maybe the more distant communities can start being repopulated, but they too come under regular barrages of, of missile fire. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, what's, the, uh, what's the attitude of Washington now toward Israel? And I say that because here... Uh, the assumption is that the Israeli authorities, Prime Minister on down, are being pressured by the United States to let up uh, in what's happening now um, with the Gaza offensive. Uh, is that accurate or not? So there is obviously pressure, and the pressure can come in many forms. Um, but generally, there's been support, certainly at the United Nations. The only reason we don't have this very, very harsh Security Council one-sided condemnation is because the United States has said it will veto, and now you're going to end up with a resolution that deals primarily with increasing aid to think, but not calling for a ceasefire. Uh, so the United States um, has been sending a series of people. They've been showing support. When Austin was there, he would not... The Secretary of Defense would not say that they should uh, – demanding a ceasefire, and, the, and um, the president and others have repeatedly said that you know it's up to Israel. But at the same time, 
you know, there's domestic political pressures. Everybody has their own circumstances that, that they deal with. Uh, there is sometimes, you know, breakdown in trust or, or whatever. But the communications, uh, Jake Sullivan was there. I think he had a good visit. And the, um, the fact that Israel has been able to carry this out as long as it has, the, the uh, fact is that it will come to a new stage in the in the coming period. Um, remember that there is still strong support in Congress, overwhelming support for Israel and for aid to Israel. And we've had some so, some surprises like Senator Fetterman in Pennsylvania becoming a very strong advocate uh, and the usual voices of the squid types, uh, you know, who, who come out with their criticisms. But the overwhelmingly, when you have a vote in the House and you get 90 plus percent of the vote, and certainly in the Senate, there's very strong support. Um, that That is a factor. And the American people, by and large, despite the polls which show young people are are opposed, the people 40 and over still understand and, and, and get what Hamas is about. They know the price that, that Israel's paying. The young people who are protesting have no clue what they're protesting about. And every study, every time they were interviewed and asked what river, what sea, and where is Palestine? They have no idea. It's become a cause de lebre and, and, you know, this is against America. This is against Western values. It's, and Israel becomes the easy target for these mobilizations. It also tells us of some of the realities that have been created on the ground with illegal immigration, with all sorts of other things that, that uh, there are shifts taking place. Uh, it's it's their right to demonstrate. I don't know why they're allowed to block streets and, and create hazardous conditions. I saw it myself when they busted out the windows of a police car and wrote free Gaza on it in midtown Manhattan. And, and nothing, uh, no, nobody was arrested at that time. Uh, I understand that they sometimes arrest them later. And I, and then I think the police operate under restrictions. So it's it's a very complicated situation. It's nationwide. We see New York, and New York obviously gets the most media attention, but it's across the country. So there are a lot of political dynamics going into an election year. Uh, we have to hold strong, and that means that people have to write to their congresspeople. They're coming, they're home now for the holiday vacation and to through New Year's. People should reach out to them, tell them to hold strong, to 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 meet with them if they can. And make the case, but make sure you inform yourself about what is really happening on the ground. Look what the Houthis are doing. Also, an Iranian proxy tied to the war with with in Hamas and Hezbollah, and the fact it can block and and, and interfere with international shipping in a place that I have mentioned on the show many times, Baba Mandab. And I know you know it gets very technical to people, but this was an obvious thing that could happen. You're talking about the world's one of the world's poorest countries. Uh, a ragtag group that should be taken out. The Saudis have been fighting them. They've been they launched missiles against Saudi Arabia. Now there was this uh, actually a, a truce between them, but uh, but it meant that they were given greater freedom to operate. They're shooting dozens of missiles taken out by French, American, Israeli, British ships. Um, mostly American uh, destroyers took down I think twelve in one day. They shoot uh, not only missiles up the Red Sea that could hit a lot, but also drones. But they fired and landed missiles near the USS Kearney, American military ships, and certainly the the uh, cargo ships, uh, the oil tankers in particular. That they 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 still hold one of them. 
which they boarded by helicopter. That should not be tolerated. The international community must stop it. 15% of the world's trade goes through that little straits there. And it means, again, for those who remember, 1967 was caused by the closing of the Straits of Tehran. They want to close off all shipping to Israel from uh, from the Red Sea, the Suez Canal, and the, the um, uh, from and, and shipping, which the alternative route going around Africa takes two weeks more, costs many tens of millions of dollars in fuel, and in cost to the. To, and I understand that that um, the, the uh, containers now have gone up tenfold in costs because of the additional distance and because of the insurance rates have have uh, multiplied many times. And many companies have announced that they're not shipping there. People may think this is a distant thing, but when you pay the price at the supermarket or in other places because of it, you'll begin to feel what what this really means. Wow. And the world tolerates it. The world just sits by and tolerates it. By the way, I just want to go back for a second to the hostage deal. Remember the last hostage, or I don't know if it was the first or the last, but one of the hostage deals took place right around Thanksgiving time, and because there were American hostages or, or those hostages of American you know, citizenship involved, that was the president's theme when he announced the deal, that you know Thanksgiving, they'll be home, etc. I mean, th- it, not to focus again, because I know we addressed it already, but isn't this the time of year? Like, don't you think that because there's a major holiday, a, a, a major ho- a family holiday, not in our tradition, but in other traditions coming up on Monday, that this would be a, a time where you'd see movement toward a deal, and instead that all we saw was cancellation of the deal this week? We have not seen world religious leaders speaking up. We haven't seen women's groups standing up for the for the horrific treatment of women. Um, they're very quick to criticize Israel, usually on false grounds, uh, but, uh, but we don't hear them. Uh, you know, they make the, the calls that the hostages, but it's always an even-handed call as if both sides are equally responsible. And the, there are children still missing hopefully alive and, and babies and others, women, uh, that there isn't the kind of, of outcry and, and constant uh, demonstrations. The pressure is on the government of Israel to give in, to, to bring them home at any cost, uh, you know, and you, and the government has to weigh, what does any cost mean? Does it mean freeing hundreds of terrorists again? Mm. Does it, uh, people who will come back be recidivists, including those who are masterminding this war. Many of them were released in the Gilad Shalit deal and, and other exchanges. So it, it's easy for people to sit and be armchair generals and everybody, who, and I appreciate the sentiments and the commitment, but people come up to me with, with you know, these ideas. Why don't they do this? Why don't they do that? And to think that, that they can think of things in the government of Israel and the, all the military people involved, their three former chiefs of staff in the war cabinet, they've seen everything. And, you know, we have to be more modest in thinking that we know better from here than they know from there of what's really feasible and how they can do it. And finally, I want to, you know, I want to ask you about uh, movement and the political scene here in Israel. But do you always say, rightfully so, that there's a war being fought and we won't, you know, see much movement of, uh, you know, those trying to uh, establish positions uh, for a future election, you know, probably for a while. And I get that. But I'm wondering, is, is it happening even without us noticing are there people now trying to take advantage? And I'm not even saying that in a negative way, by the way, but trying to take advantage of the current situation and and thinking about how they can get a uh, you know a, a a road to the top, so to speak, in the Israeli political scene. Or is really none of it happening now at all? 
So during my time in Israel, the last few days, I met the prime minister and met others, uh, but even and leaders of other parties. The answer is yes. People are not only thinking, but they're moving ahead. Um, most people say, and I believe you should wait. You know that the time for all of the recriminations and everything will come. There will be investigations. There will be a lot of people who will be held to account. Um, there is a lot of anti-Bibi sentiment. There's because I mean he is head of government, and they and the responsibility always rests with whoever's in charge. But also, the um, you know there there. But there's no uh, yet person that they can all rally around. There are scenarios where you could have coalitions. When we see the shifting numbers, that Gantz gets up to 37 in some polls, or and together with Lapid either in the Bennett runs or uh, Yair Golan mobilizing the left would get 11 seats now or 10 seats. It's a very shifting situation. The answer is yes, that people and political people are, are going to take advantage of the mood in the country, the demonstrations, the, you know, the lingering um, uh, problems from before the war have not disappeared. I, I really resent it when people... Um, uh, you know, we'll we'll take advantage of the moment and um, talk about now how there will be a civil war. Civil war. This is a time of unity. We've seen amazing unity. It's not a time to talk of a civil war. What we should do is talk about how you get together, how you create and maintain the achdut that we see now across the board between communities that didn't talk to each other and and who were always critical that the the issues will have to be addressed, both those related to war and to the general situation. The economic conditions that demands on Israel are going to be horrific. It's cost them more than $50 billion already for the war. It's half the GDP, and it's not ending. Uh, Israel came into the war in a good economic position, and thank God, it's if you see the echo got stronger um, and it's, uh, by more than 10% in the last couple of weeks uh, versus the dollar. So you got to uh, look at the uh, overall situation, and uh, I, I do think that people should be very careful about uh, uh, putting an overlay of politics, which is always there in Israel, and put the focus right now on protecting our soldiers, protecting the people of Israel, getting the hostages back, and, and finishing Hamas. There is nobody in the Middle East, and I'm talking about Arab leaders across the board, who do not want Israel to finish this job, including Europeans and everybody, because everybody will pay the price. Saudi Arabia will, the UAE will, Egypt will, all of them, even Morocco, all of them will pay a price, and they know it, yeah. if Hamas is able to come out of this intact. Then they should be more vocal and more supportive in general of Israel, but I guess that's, you know, impossible to expect. Right? <laughs> well, it's not impossible to expect, but uh, it's some of them will say, you know, that they they have been mildly critical, they, they haven't taken action right. against Israel. Right, that's but true. For for many for many of them this is being supportive, you're right. And and remember, look at look at the Red Sea, the United States trying to put together an able coalition. You don't see Saudi Arabia there, you don't see UAE there, only Bahrain of the countries is joined. Uh, it's, you know, they they operate under various pressures and, and concerns, even though they are the direct um, targets as well for the Houthis and for the Iranian uh, designs uh, and Iran it, you know nobody pays attention to the internal disruptions in Iran the fact that you have the demonstrations you have many things going on including executions and and Iran 
right now just seems to sail along and and yeah. oh, it is responsible for the Hamas war it's responsible for Hezbollah it's responsible for the Houthis and the Iraqi uh, militia and Syrian militias and the West gives them a buy yeah. it's not they got to increase the sanctions we got to continue to put the pressure you take care of Iran you'll take care of all these other problems Thank you for your time. I apologize for the tinge of lethargy. It's the very, very rare time that I am doing JM in the AM at the end of a fast day. So <laughs> thank you for your <laughs> thank you for your patience and have a wonderful Shabbos. Enjoy your dinner. You will, I am sure. And give my regards to everyone at the wonderful Imbal Hotel where I stay as well. And have a great Shabbos and, and, God willing, a peaceful Shabbos. Yeah, amen to that. As we said earlier, a peaceful Shabbos for not only us but for Jews around the world as we all now realize that uh, everywhere Jews are in the sensitive situations. This time each and every Friday, every Arab Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader emeritus, Congregation Shomri Torah.